Okay, it's Virial USA podcast time. I'm here with Zach, um, and we. Uh, not sure what that was. Not sure what that was. Okay, welcome to another Virial USA podcast. This is Alan. I'm here with Zach. Um, it's been a busy week in. Uh, in Virial and, and uh, Environs, we had a um, match against Betis, which was noteworthy more for all the injuries than anything else. Um, we'll get to that in a minute. And then we had um, the Europa League draw, and yet again, we seem to have, fortune has not favored the Yellow Submarine. We got a one of the tougher um, non-seeded teams, I would say, would you, would you think? Yeah, I think so. Um, they're a good team. Uh, Salzburg's a good team, and that whole Red Bull organization is just really, really well run top to bottom. So it's not the easiest draw in the world. Yeah, and I, I, um, I think the only saving grace might be if they just sold one of their players from um, from moved from Red Bull Salzburg to. Um, to uh, Red Bull Leipzig, so that's, I guess, good news for us. And I'm remembering that happened when we played Red Bull Salzburg in the Europa League the last time around. They sold a player, I don't remember now who it was, but one of their key players left before the February um, matches were played, and so and we were able to defeat them, so maybe that'll happen this time. Yeah, so Sumasly is only 19, uh, but uh, he had um, nine. He had let me see here. He had 19 goal contributions for them last year in their Austrian league, and he's had 10 so far this season. Um, so he's he was probably their best player. Um, so yeah, it does us a huge favor that he's moving. That he's. Um, I guess moving up to the A team in January, though I don't know how Salzburg fans would feel about the fact that they're essentially a German team's B side. But I mean, that's kind of how it feels to me. Yeah, I think it. I think it does to me. I, I think that's that's part, um, pretty much goes with that ownership, um, and it's not new. It's been happening for, as we said, I mean, it happened happened before. Um, yeah, I think Sobosvai is an excellent player. Only 19. They've got a lot of young attacking talent. Um, I was looking at their roster yesterday, and they um, pretty much, if you look at their midfield and and uh, attackers, they're all you know 23 and younger. I think they're they're um, a few. There's maybe one midfielder in his 30s and a couple of guys in the back line, but it's a young side, and that kind of goes with them being. Uh, I think you almost, it's like you almost look at some of the French teams now. They're basically a development um, team for, uh, <laughs> for, other, for other leagues. The French Ligue 1 has a number of clubs that um, essentially are fulfilling that role now, and I think Salzburg are kind of the same way. It's, it's an interesting um, Europa League draw because the, um, I think there were five league leaders in the Europa League draw and none in the Champions League draw. It's kind of kind of an interesting phenomenon right now. Yeah, um the it's one of those things when when you come up against a young team in European competition, um 
sometimes you say, okay, well, we've got more experience, so that will play in our favor. But sometimes these young teams just uh, – they don't realize how big of a moment it is, so they just don't play nervous or scared. And, you know, because they're in the Austrian league, they're used to winning all the time anyway. Um, mm-hmm. So they very mm-hmm. well could come against us in mid-February and just – not know any better and come out with way more confidence than, you know, any of the teams we face so far, just because they're used to winning and they're too young to know that they don't, that they, they're not supposed to be beating these more experienced sides. Yeah. I, I think that's a good point. I mean, certainly we've seen that with, with Ajax, with Atalanta, that, that, uh, you know, you, you get used to winning and, and it's, and it sort of feeds on itself. I think, I think it's going to be an interesting, um, couple of matches, um, to see what happens. I think, I think Red Bull overall is, I'd have to go back and, and look at when we played them in, what was it? 16, 17. I can't remember, but um, I think they're probably a better team now than they were then. So I, th- I think it'll, it'll be an interesting, um, an interesting matchup. One of the things that um, I think plays in our favor though, and I wrote this on the site, uh, but like all Red Bull teams, uh, Salzburg likes to press a lot, and they like to press in the attacking third a lot. Um, and we've played uh, in La Liga, the five teams in La Liga uh, that press the most in the attacking third, and we beat all of them uh, other than Real Sociedad, who we drew. So, I, I, I mean, now this was with Amora in the lineup, naturally, but um, for most of those games. But I, I, I think that... Emory system, especially with Parejo in the middle, is designed to be press resistant. Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually think, from a tactical perspective, this is a very good matchup for us. Okay, well that's 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 good to know. I think um, the it, obviously it's a long ways out until we until we play them. One thing that we that um, several people noted is that the Austrian league for obvious reasons, takes a very long, they take about a month-long winter break, even even this year. And so they're, um, I think they're, they're pretty much, I think they have one more match before Christmas, then they're off for a month, and then they'll be playing like four or five matches before we face them. Um, a couple of those are in the Austrian Cup, I think. Um, and the rest are in the Austrian league. So, you know, they'll have some opportunity to um, get get their legs back after the break, but we will have had many more games under our belt, whether that's good or bad, <laughs> who knows. Yeah, my, my natural instinct is that, is that that is a bad thing. It feels like they get a break and then like the equivalent of like a preseason set of matches before they gear back up to face us. But Mm -hmm. uh, we'll see Mm -hmm. how it goes. Yeah, we will. Um, Well, let's talk about the, let's talk about the Betis match briefly and particularly the, the injury um, situation. Um, And, you know, losing Ebora was uh, when he went out, you know, it was one of those injuries where you couldn't really tell how bad it was. Um, but then Monday morning we found out it was quite bad indeed. He's out for six months. Um, any, <laughs> anything that, uh, that we might've planned with him in the middle of the pitch for the remainder of the season is now gone. Yeah. And, and the weird thing about an ACL tear, so I, I tore my ACL playing basketball when I was in high school and, 
the weird thing about tearing that that ligament is once you tear it, there's no there's no nerve endings left, mm. um, so it doesn't hurt. So like ten minutes after I tore my ACL, um, I tried to go back into the game, and on my way to the scorer's table, like my knee buckled and gave out because that ACL goes right up the middle of your knee and stabilizes it. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't feel that there was a problem. It just wasn't stable the way it was supposed to be. So it, it's one of those things that when you see a guy tearing ACL, if it's just the ACL tear, a lot of times he gets off the pitch and it doesn't look that bad. And then, you know, you find out later, you know, it doesn't take a doctor long to, to test it and see that that thing's not there anymore. Um, okay. But I, I just, with, with how, with how injury prone Copeland's already been this season, and with how um, positionally irresponsible Copeland's been all season, um, I, I just I, it's one of the worst possible players we can lose for the year because he does such a good job of not giving the ball away and staying at the base of the midfield and providing coverage for the back line. Um, it, I think it's going to make it a lot more difficult uh, for us to make this season a year where we – you know, finish top four and get to a Europa League semifinal or better. You know, that's kind of the way I was thinking before that injury happened, and it's going to be a whole lot harder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It really is. I I think the it's it's it was already um, we were the loss of of Paco and and Baca both. I think um, has affected our scoring ability, but. Really, losing Ebora is just huge because he's he's he was had experience and um, and height that we don't that a lot of our other our other um, midfielders he really gave us something that we didn't have otherwise and now we're we have to decide do we go into the January market and try and pick up somebody um, that's always a little hard because you're Ultimately, you're figuring that Ibora is going to be able to come back next year. So, do you, you know, you don't want to splash out a ton of money on somebody who is then going to sit the next year. So, do you want to, you know, do you try to do a loan move? Do you try to do, do you try to cover with um, converting one of your existing players to play there? Or do you, you know, do you bring back uh, somebody like Santi Caceres and and who's already we've paid for and uh, try and make do that way? I mean, it's an interesting conundrum. Yeah, and I think um, my first instinct would be to bring Santi Caceres back. Of course, to my understanding, and you you probably understand this stuff a little better than I do, but to my understanding one of our non-EU players has to go if we bring him back, and that probably means us losing Kubo. That's that's right. I think because the other the other non-EU players, um, if if what I've read is correct, that that's right. Because the the thing that is confusing to me is Carlos Baca because he's been in Europe long enough that I would have thought that he would be a have the Spanish passport or everything, but but part of it was in Italy, part of it was in Spain. I don't know what the rules are there. Um, and so, if yes, if we have to have a place for Caceres, um, unless we can unload um, Funes Mori somewhere, 
or you know loan him out for that period of time because he's one of the non-EU players. Um, yeah, we, we wouldn't have a place for him. And I don't know. I mean, I know there are people... I, I, I like Santi a lot. I, I thought that he kind of got a bit of a raw deal when he, when he played here um, before. Um, but is he the person that Emery is going to say, yeah, okay, I'll work with this guy and, and make it work? I don't know. Um, well, and, and you'd imagine there's a pretty significant style of play difference between our league and the Mexican league. So he's going to have to make that shift while he's moving across an o- back across an ocean in the middle of a pandemic and, uh, and everything else that goes along with that. So it's, it's not, no matter how we do it, it's not going to be as simple as just plugging a new guy in. Um, but there, those complications uh, are there as well. Um, mm-hmm. I don't really know off the top of my head uh, who good candidates to bring in on a loan would be. Uh, but kind of like you said, I mean, I really don't. Um, I, you know, Ibor is older, but he's not so old that I, that I think the club would is going to just be like, okay, let's go buy somebody new. Uh, especially with the salary situation being what it is, I think they're going to want to either mm-hmm. try to loan someone where they don't have to pay all the wages or just bring Caceres back because they already own him and they can just, you know, at the very least drive up his sale value over the next six months. Right. And and I think the, um, the other option, which we saw yesterday in the Copa match, was and which Villarreal has tried before um, in this position, actually, is is trying to use a center back as a, as more of a defensive midfielder. Um, I'm not sure how much I believe that's an ideal solution, but that's that would be a stopgap, I think, if we were looking at, you know, if Abora were, were going to be out for a month or two, but when he's out for six months, I'm not sure I I see the value of, of trying to convert a player like that because you're going to have times during the six months where you're going to need to use that guy back as a center back, either because of injury, knock on wood, I hope not, or um, yellow card suspensions. So that's where, that's where Jomi Costa kind of comes into the equation because he's that third string left back that can also play a little bit of defensive midfielder. mm -hmm. Um, I really don't want him starting lead games at defensive midfielder. I'd really, I like, uh, like for instance, I like, Boyd's pass range a little bit better in that position, or maybe even seeing if Powell can handle that kind of passing load. Um, but you know, there there are there are workarounds there where Johnny Costa becomes our backup defensive midfielder or, or our Copa defensive midfielder, and mm-hmm. either Powell or Foyth steps up and plays a little bit of DM. But like like you said, I think I'd rather I'd rather try to either bring Casters back or load somebody. Yeah, and I think there I think the real um question with Caceres is I don't know what the I don't know how he uh, what the relationship between him and the club is at this point um, I know that before all of this happened the you know we would have we would have been willing to sell him I think we gave a purchase option to Club America which they didn't choose to exercise so you know it's 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 hard I think it's also as you say, you're coming back, you're coming to a different league, you're coming back to a coach who doesn't know you, um, 
and you're being asked to play in a bit of a different role than than you were before. Um, hard to say. I mean, I don't. I'm I'm sure that Emery has seen you know some videos of him playing in Mexico, but I don't know a lot beyond that. So it's it's a it's a difficult it's a difficult situation and i think it probably depends a lot on what uh what is a, you know who's available in the in the january market on loan and in and it may also depend to some degree on if madrid really does throw enough of a tantrum that we that they take kubo back um i i, I will know and i i put this on the uh Real USA Twitter page a few days ago. Um, if you look at Caceres's, um statistical profile while he's been with Club America, um, it, it's a very similar. If you're familiar with the radars, the, the statistical mm-hmm. radars that are so popular uh, in football stuff, it's a very similar shake radar to what you get from Ibora. A very low, uh, very low number of turnovers. He doesn't give the ball away a lot. Pretty high passing percentage. Um, okay in buildup and in in but really just kind of a lot of safe passing and more just sort of a um, safe player at the back of the midfield, not really the sort of defensive midfielder that's gonna win the ball back a million times and then hit you know a diagonal ball forty yards across the field, but kind of that same sort of abora. If you pass it to him, you know he's not going to lose it, and he's going to find the next man, and he's going to stay put, and that that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I did see those, and I thought that I thought that was uh, I was surprised how much how similar they looked um, because I haven't I hadn't seen Caceres playing in in Mexico. Um, he played center back there, I think, sometimes too, in, I, as I recall. Yeah, I think he's played he's played a little bit of both. Um, you know, I don't know quite enough about Club America to know how much how much that differentiates between like what they're um, you know, like what they're asking him to do when he's playing center back versus what they're asking him to do when they're playing mm-hmm. um, defensive midfielder. I don't know enough about their play to comment on that. Yeah, yeah, I don't either. Um well I think the I think the real what do you what do you think about Kubo then let's talk let's, let's talk briefly about actually let's take a bit of a break and then when we come back let's let's let let's talk about Kubo briefly and then the Copa um, yesterday okay so if we accept that Santi Caceres is a possibility um, the only way we get him back and registered to play for Villarreal is if we make a space open for a non-EU player. And one way we could do that would be if Kubo loans, if his loan is canceled early. And we know that there's been a lot of talk in the, the pro Madrid press about how he's not playing enough and blah, 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 blah. I mean, how do you, do you actually think that could happen? Um, I think it, it could be a, a situation where, you know, if Kubo's not particularly happy and Villarreal kind of needs to open up a, a non-EU slot anyway, it could just be convenient for everybody to just go ahead and do that and let, um, you know, let 
Real Madrid drop him off at somebody who, you know, who's trying to avoid relegation and, and, and trying to uh, just needs a little spark in their offensive game. I don't think that'd be what's best for Kubo's development. I think he's learned a lot playing for Emery and I think he, he would continue to do so. Um, but I mean, let's be honest. He's, uh, he's not noticeably better than Simon Chiquese. Um He's not, I would say, honestly, on, on a consistent basis, he's not noticeably better than Jeremy Pino. So uh, as far as I'm concerned, you know, I, especially now that we're through the Europa League group stage, I don't see how we lose a whole lot by letting him walk. Um, you know, and, and it's something I'd personally be very okay with. Yeah, I think I I just find that he's um, he's not physically strong enough to do the things he wants to do yet. <laughs> And um, uh, for for a club like Villarreal, and I, I just I think he's I think he probably would um, benefit from playing for getting more playing time for a team that was set up a little differently. I think he's learned a lot from Emery. I just don't think that Emery um, trusts him to <laughs> to do a whole lot. And as you say, we. I think he's I think he's better than than Jeremy, although he hasn't shown that on a consistent basis. But I think you know he, he's a, he's an excellent talent, but he's very young and he really needs to learn how to how to control control the ball and not give it up in dangerous positions. It's it, it's just when I when I see him with the ball, it's just I'm just waiting for somebody to. Take it, take it away from him, or for him to do something not really intelligent, because he's not getting as much space to operate with us as he was with Mallorca. I mean, you know, when. Well, the other thing, though, and so he's he's definitely more talented than Jeremy is. But when you look at our system as a cohesive whole, Emery can put Pino on on the right or left wing and say, "Hey, stay in this channel." track back on defense, run your lanes, do your job. And Pino is going to be like, okay, boss, got it. Mm -hmm. And whenever, and it seems like so many times when Kubo goes out there, you know, he starts on the right and he drifts all the way over to the left. And then he doesn't track back on defense and we get caught in transition. And somebody's out on an Island because Kubo's not where he's supposed to be. And, you know, he might be the more talented player, but I'd rather have the guy that follows orders and does what he's supposed to do. Yeah, I hear that. Well, it was it was interesting that yesterday in the Copa match, you know, he did not start. He came on. Um, it was sort of sort of several odd substitutions, <laughs> um, where we brought in brought on Kubo, Parejo, and Trigueros, all with about twenty five minutes or so to go, I guess. And um, I can't say Kubo did a lot. He got he got his uniform really dirty because. <laughs> Um, it was quite the mess of a pitch, but you know, I I didn't really see anything there that made him. I, I wondered if Emery was sending him a message by putting him out there. Frankly, I, I don't know. I kind of thought those late game substitutions were more um, uh, against competition and in a in a scoreline where there's no risk. Since I know I don't have Ebora, let me fidget with a few things and just see how something looks on tape. 
Mm-hmm. And, and so you get a couple of these guys that normally wouldn't play against, you know, a completely overmatched third division side. But, you know, but today let's, let's let Parejo and, and them get out there for a few minutes and see what the shape of the midfield looks like when a is not there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that, that's kind of all I read about those substitutions. Um, I, I also, and I, I, I don't know if we have any Real Madrid fans that actually listen to the podcast, but Honestly, from having watched, I watched Kubo a little bit last year, but I've watched him a lot this year. I don't see a guy who's ever going to be a first team player at Real Madrid. I mean, Isco can't get a game right now, and it's a very similar style player. And Isco is far, far, far better than anything I've seen from Kubo. So I I don't see a guy that's ever really going to make it at Real Madrid. Um, They're going to end up selling him. I think in a, in a year or two down the line, and, and then that's just going to be that. Yeah, I mean, I it's inter- I was talking with Siddharth about this too, and he made the same point that you know you look at the you look at the lineup that Madrid has, and it's like you know is Kubo really going to crack that in a, in a <laughs> in the next couple of years? And I I don't see it either. Um, you know, I mean, it's it's always hard for young players develop at different rates and it's, and sometimes you've got a player who um, does everything up to about age 16, 17, and then everybody catches up to them and they sort of wash out. Sometimes you've got players who um, get to the 16, 17 and they have a couple of years where they have to figure it out and they, and then they do and they get better. I don't know which of those Kubo would be, but I tend to agree with you that I don't I don't see his long term future as being at Real Madrid. And so, if um, if the bosses there kind of feel the same way, then maybe sending him somewhere where he's going to get to play more is a better way of maximizing their future sale. Yeah, I I, I tend I tend to agree with you, um, and which is a shame because I mean I. I like Kubo, and I think I think if Kubo ends up at the right club, he's going to be a, he's going to be someone that their fans absolutely adore. You know, if he gets into um, you know uh, a, a smaller La Liga club whose goal every year is to survive, and Kubo's the guy they show up to watch because he does creative things and he comes up with uh, really clever assists several times a season, and you know he, he helps keep them in La Liga for a few extra years. Like I think he could be some smaller clubs, like beloved icon being that guy. Mm-hmm. So there's just such a big difference between that and being um, someone that um, actually makes it at the very top clubs in the world. Yeah. I just, I just, I think that's right. I mean, and I don't want to sound too negative on him either, because I think we, I think we all like him. We all see, you know, he's, he's talented, but I think for him, I'm as well as for us. I mean, I think when we signed him, we other things happened later in the summer that we didn't expect would be available to us, and so I don't think I don't think anybody would shed any tears if it if it turns out that, as you say, maybe Casares is sort of the excuse to say, well, okay, we really we really could use this spot and and 
Florentino says, yeah, yeah, okay, we'll we'll go ahead and, find, and take him back and send him somewhere else. I think that would be okay. It would free up a little salary too. So, yeah, and and it would probably get us out of having to pay the entirety of the um, of the five million euro loan fee, which means that we would not only get some salary space back, but we'd also get a little bit of extra cash. Mm-hmm. Um, to you know, to throw at another salary or to throw at another loan deal or something like that. Right. Well, did you get you you got to see some of the match yesterday, right? Yeah, we were up. We were up about four nothing when my internet kicked out, and I mean, I, normally I'd work real hard to get back onto the game, but when we're already up four nothing, you know, I'm just not gonna fight the evils of the internet, but so much to uh to get back onto it but yeah i saw that's why we're a good chunk of it yeah oh i think you and i probably overlap because i think i came in um i came in after goal three but before goal four so um so yeah yep i mean i think there's not really a lot you can say about it other than the um you know yeah you were playing opposition that you should have that you should have defeated pretty easily and you did um which, well, here, here, here's yeah. what I will say about it. All right, if we think about our cup run last year, we had a relatively deep Copa run without ever facing a top flight opponent, and we ended up getting knocked out by a second round club, my second division club. club. Yeah, yeah. If you if you look and if you think back to those matches, right, the Girona match and a couple of the other ones, like those matches against those lower division sides were all way more stressful than we felt like they needed to be. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, there was, and yeah. so, and so it's one of those things that, okay, well we faced an overmatched opponent. We beat the bricks off. I'm great. And it's like, yeah, but that's something we didn't do last year. So I, 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 without digging into the specific nuances of this game too much, just the fact that we showed up and did what we were supposed to in an early round Copa del Rey match is a step forward from last season. Yes. Yes, definitely. I think that, um, I think that's uh, that was the point I, I would have would make too is that sometimes these matches it's easy to say oh well you should have won them but you know we we've had plenty of Copa matches through the years that we've gotten bounced by teams that were that were inferior to us on paper and so it was good to to um, to do what needed to be done um, and and win fairly easily. And get some playing time for um, for various uh, players who aren't going to be featured on an on an everyday basis with the first team. So, yeah, it was it was good. Um, the it looked for a while like our neighbors to the south might get knocked out, but they they managed to survive. But it, I, I, what was interesting was the the club that uh, did get knocked out, the, the highest profile one so far, probably was Mirandes, who knocked us out last year. So we can't lose to them again. Right. Well, yeah, we when they've knocked us out of the Copa what twice, so I guess yeah. that's yeah, that's a, that's a good thing to go ahead and get them out of the way. Yeah, yeah, they knocked us out in 2011-12, and then they knocked us out last year too. So, um, yeah, the the one um, thing I wanted to note about the team we played yesterday, Leoa, which I didn't realize until I was looking to find out more about them, they've never been relegated. 
this, <laughs> they they have um, they're they're at the bottom of their Segunda B group right now, but they've fought all the way through from the little tiny provincial leagues to the Segunda B, and um, haven't yet had the had to go down. So I hope that that stays true and they're able to stay up this year. Um, well, and it's worth noting that. Um, so going to be, it's always a mess, but it's an even more hairy mess this year because they're transitioning from the way they've done it in years past to this new, like Segunda B pro thing they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so in order to do that, they're playing groups now that are going to turn into promotion groups and relegation groups yes. sometime here in the next few weeks. So even though they've had an awful season so far, that means they'll go down into the relegation group, but then they'll get to start over and see if they can like, you know, at least tread water and maintain their level going into next year where we have Segunda B and Segunda B Pro. Right. So yeah, it'll be, it, it, it'll be um, Belgium coming to Spain. <laughs> it's it, right. it, it, yeah. It's like the, how the Belgian league does, where they divide everything, and at the end of the day, somehow it all works out. I don't understand it, but um, yeah. And and of course, we're um, our B team um, is in the promotion area right now, which would be which would be fine. Yeah. Um, and I think I think that getting um, I think that getting our B team. And back into Segunda is really important because I think it's so much easier. You know, you got guys like Bayana and Pino and and Fernino that are really nice young players, but aren't good enough to play every single week with the first team. It's really, really nice to be able to send them down into that second tier instead of, you know, all the way to the third tier, because when you have to send them all the way to the third tier, then you start asking, well, should we keep them here or should we loan them out this season? And mm-hmm. this, I think, gives us a lot better options if we can get moved up. Yeah, and, and we've come close several times. I mean, I've, I've said the same thing every year, is that, you know, it's really, really important for us to get back up. And, of course, we've been in the promotion playoffs before and um, have fallen at the final hurdle. And I guess one year, I, I, Raul can explain it. Um, I didn't understand it, but we almost got promoted – because of a result elsewhere in the playoffs. And then there was a late goal that changed everything. We had to then play our next game and we ended up not getting there. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's tough. Um, Remember that we only were relegated to the Segunda Bay because our first team was relegated to the Segunda. You know, we, we were, so we've been trying now for, eight years to <laughs> return. Um, as, a, as a quick aside, how do you feel about the way Spain does their B teams in the larger pyramid as opposed to like England that keeps them completely separate? Yeah. Well, England keeps them separate apart from now they're playing in one of the cups that I can never remember the name of, but um, the, I guess it's the league cup or something. I don't know. I I actually don't mind the um, I don't mind the the B teams being in the pyramid directly. I think that that probably, um, in a lot of ways, I rather like that. I think Germany has is doing that as well. Um, so I I I don't know that playing in an under twenty three league um, the way England does it 
get you does it get you the um, attention? Does it get you the development? I don't know. I'm not sure, but it does. I just think of somebody like Alex Garcia that went to Man City and you know played for their um, under 23 side or whatever in in those competitions and basically ended up getting loaned out all over the place too. But I think it. I think maybe having having a B team in in the same organization that's in the pyramid is maybe better. But maybe that's just yeah, because I, I like Spanish football. I, and that's how they do it. I, I tend to agree with you, and mainly because um, you know when you're 18, 19, 20 years old, um, and you're playing against people in your own age group. If you're playing the top people in your own age group, the talent level might be higher than what you see in like the third tier of Spanish football. But you're not playing anybody smarter than you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what happens when you go into the is you're playing guys who are 27, 28, 29, 30 years old that have been playing professional or semi-professional football for a decade now, and they know all the tricks and they know all the, the sneaky stuff that the guys in the top flight know. They're just not quite as talented. Um, and so for a young player, I think it's really good to experience um, – Mm-hmm. Having to get smarter because the guy you're playing against is smarter than you. I, I think that's huge for player development. Yeah, I do too. I I find that um, it is it is interesting when you watch when you watch a B team play in the Segunda or the Segunda B. You know, you you can you can definitely tell the players who have the most talent. Uh, you know, and the young the young players who are who are coming up and they. But I, I do feel like you, you learn a lot from playing um, with player from playing against players who are older than you. And the other thing is that in the Spanish system, you also can have some of those players playing alongside you. So you know our B team has a certain number of spots where we can have older players and we, we don't tend to use those a lot, but we do. We have had players, um, especially strikers, a few years back, who were like you know twenty eight, twenty nine years old. That's probably a good thing in the dressing room too. I mean, I think it's probably good for for young people to see how older professionals take the sport. Right. So yeah, so I, I'm I'm actually pretty okay with it. I don't I don't mind it. I think that. I think where I would mind it would be if um, you were if you were putting those teams in the Copa del Rey, for example, which at one time they did, um, right. but but don't anymore. up until like the nineteen nineteen eighty, I think. Yeah, I think it was partly the the Castilla side that pretty much ended it. <laughs> um, but yeah, the at one time they did that, and that's. That's now why the whole um, who gets into the Copa del Rey from the lower divisions is really complicated and, and there's no set formula for it is because it depends in part on how many B teams are <laughs> theoretically eligible because they then have to throw those out. Um, right. So that's kind of that's kind of the, the story there. Um, yeah, so I think I think it would be great for us to get back to the um, to the Segunda. I think that would that would really help um, in terms of our development. So, anything anything else before we wrap it up? Are you done? Are you done with your Christmas shopping yet? 
Uh, pretty much. I'm not done with the wrapping yet, and we're still sending out Christmas cards. <laughs> Okay. So, however, I I I did manage to um I did manage to blow a circuit with our outdoor lights that that turned off our water heater for a bit. So I've already had my Christmas oh, well, adventure. Congratulations, Clark Griswold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a reason why when electricity so, okay. is involved, I don't get. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So are you done with yours? Um, I, I've bought everything. Not everything has shown up yet. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, specifically, specifically, my wife's main gift. Uh, I've been told that it's cleared customs, but it's not shown up on my doorstep yet. So when that shows up, then I will feel much more comfortable and confident, ready for Christmas. But um, uh, until then, I'm a little nervous. Okay. Well, you can always tell her that you're. You're going to do the Spanish thing this year and give the gifts on um, January 6th, right? <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah. Oh, yes, that's right. I could do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, the Three Kings and everything. Yeah, see, that'll go over really well, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I think, actually, here in eastern North Carolina, um, it's actually called... It's called Old Christmas, I think is the term yes, they use yes, for it. Yes, yes, because... Um, but yeah, there's a little bit of a thing out here for that, too. Yeah, because when because before the calendar changed, that was when Christmas was, right? So, right. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's that's pretty cool, but I, I didn't know that that was a thing out there. So, it's cool. I, th- I know that in... in um, it's, uh, the, main thing, the main thing that it's relevant for is that there is a subgroup of people who argue that they can keep up their Christmas decorations until old Christmas. Ah, okay. Yes. I, I have heard that, that you keep them up until January 6th and then take them down. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. And, and I think there's some, there used to be, I don't know if there are any more, but there were, there, there used to be um, celebrations in like Louisiana and some of the French settlements in Missouri that were that were January 6th also the Rivier Rivion something anyway we're, we're rambling far afield <laughs> but uh, I want let's wish everybody um, you know a Merry Christmas a happy new year we certainly need to see the end of 2020 and uh, stay safe out there yeah uh, it's it's been fun I hope you have a Merry Christmas and hopefully uh, Virial will get a win this weekend to, to send us to the holiday and stuff. That would that would be good. That would be good. All right. So for Alan and for Zach, Virial USA, end of Virial. <laughs>